Hello and welcome to the My VA Dayton podcast coming to you from Dayton, Ohio. This is the show where we talk with veterans in the Western Ohio region to share their stories and share what's happening at the Dayton VA Medical Center. I'm Scott Leese, your host with co-host Greg Tucker. We have with us today a U.S. Army veteran from Fairborn, Ohio, Stephen Ratcliffe. Steve is on the board of directors of the Vietnam Veterans of America, Miami Valley Chapter 97. He is also an active member of the regional veteran community, consistently seeking methods of resources to better their lives. While in the Army, he served as an Army aviator door gunner. So welcome uh, to our podcast, Steve. Thank you. Before we get to know more about you, we're going to put you to the test. It's time! That's right. It's time to play Don't Tell Me I Think I Know the Answer. This is the game where we put our guests to the test of their knowledge of military trivia. It's also a game where our listeners can play along to see if their minds are mired in mounds of military minutiae as ours are. Are you ready to take this challenge, Steve? I am. Okay. Since you are an Army veteran, we have tailored these questions specifically for you and your career. So your first question is, who was the first military pilot? Would it be A, Joe Namath, B, Frederick E. Humphreys, C, Chuck Yeager, or D, Wilbur Wright? Frederick E. Humphreys. That's correct. That's the right answer. On October 26, 1909, the West Point graduate became the first military pilot to fly a plane solo. After receiving only three hours of training, Humphreys resigned the following year to take over his family's business, but joined the New York National Guard in 1915. He died in 1941 and is buried at Arlington National Cemetery. Now, here is your next question. Who was the military's first female pilot? Would it be Amelia Earhart, B, Martha Stewart, C, Janie Levitt, D, Carol Littlejohn? Janie Levitt. That is the correct answer. Good job. After entering the branch in 1992, she became the first woman to command a combat fighter wing and has logged more than 3,000 flight hours, including over 300 combat hours. Now, here's your third and final question. In what war did the first purpose-built attack helicopter first appear? Would it be A, Yom Kippur War, B, Second Congo War, C, Korean War, or D, Vietnam War? That is the right answer. And of course, you know that being a Vietnam veteran. So congratulations. Great job. So Greg, what has Steve won for playing our game today? And Steve, for playing our game today, you have won four industrial strength chip clips made by NASA. Just what I need. Just what you need on your next space journey, <laughs> here or wherever. All compliments of the Dayton VA. So guard those with your life and be very careful with them. As we said, they're industrial strength. We don't want you to get harmed, getting your finger stuck in those chip clips. So be careful I've, with those. I've got a refrigerator full. All right, <laughs> terrific. Well, now you got four more. Share with your friends and family. Okay, so we'll be right back uh, a little while. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we'll hear more uh, from Steve about his uh, work in the community and the Vietnam uh, community organizer and his experience in the army. 
My name is Corporal Bradley Joseph Seitz. Jerry Reed. Kate Weber. These are real veterans facing a real challenge. I have PTSD. And I have PTSD. I have PTSD. Post-traumatic stress disorder can happen to anyone. I was still in a war zone in my mind. But treatment can turn your life around. Treatment has really saved my life. To learn about PTSD and how treatment can help you, call your local VA medical center or visit ptsd.va.gov. This is a message from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Got a question about your VA benefits, health care, or eligibility? Go to va.gov where you can access a new interactive chatbot to ask questions 24-7. And we're back with Army veteran Steve Radcliffe. Welcome, Steve. Thanks for having me. Tell us, what are you doing these days, Steve? Well, I'm retired from the civil service, right at that Air Force Base. Uh, basically, I'm spending most time, most of my time working with our Vietnam veteran chapter here in Dayton. Uh, going to, trying to get them meet vets and get them to help come with us and help with the work. <laughs> and so what did you do uh, at Wright Pat before retiring? I worked in civil engineering in the uh, central heating plants. Okay. And so tell us how that differs from what you're doing today. It's a lot cleaner. <laughs> we fired with coal out there, most of the plants. And then yeah. I also transferred out to the VA hospital where I worked in that heating plant out there also. Okay. So I worked there for five years. Yeah. And so right now you're working with uh, the veteran community? That's correct. Yeah. Well, and, we, most of my, picked up most of my time, really. So. And and what are you doing with the veterans today? Uh, well, let's see. I've been a member of the Vietnam Veterans Organization a long time. Uh, I got involved with them back in uh, 1983, about, about a year after they dedicated the statue in uh, on the wall in Washington, D.C. So, uh, we got involved. Uh, we go out to events, try to recruit members to join, try to help them out, give them the information they need to get the to get the help they need. And uh, I've been doing that most of my time. I've attended not every con national convention the Vietnam Veterans Organization has had. Mm -hmm. So I think there's only about two or three of us left that's attended them all. So that's the governing body of our national organization. And so, what kind of uh, help do you uh, have veterans or what kind of help do you uh, you help veterans find? Well, mainly uh, things that they can file claims with on their illnesses from uh, doing the research or with Agent Orange and uh, PTSD. We try to send them in the right direction. Our national and our state organization has service officers. We have uh, in Ohio, we have uh, we call the Buckeye State Council. We got about 36 chapters all within the state. And we got a service officer that's up in Cleveland that can be contacted through mm -hmm. organizations. And so do you primarily deal with Vietnam veterans or veterans of all, all uh, service? Well, we try to help everybody, but uh, our our primary focus is the Vietnam vets to make sure they're they're getting the help they need. Sure. And what kind of specific uh, help do veterans from Vietnam need? Uh, well, basically, uh, we're kind of like a brotherhood, you know. And every time you see another veteran come down and that's why we wear the, the garb so we can help find our brothers and stuff like that sisters too and uh we, this camaraderie vietnam brothers seem to trust each other a little bit sure absolutely anybody else and so um and when you're talking to these veterans uh tell us some of the specific needs that that arise for vietnam veterans it's uh try to bring them all the way home really because uh 
some of them are still stuck in country in their mind and everything, help them get psychological counseling and uh, point them in the right direction and give them answers where they can get compensated and get uh, their disabilities maintained and the healthcare taken care of. Yeah, do you find that uh, veterans from that era um, have, have taken a long time to come to reconcile that? Uh, Oh yeah, very so. Why well, it's getting it's getting better, you know. It I I didn't mess with it till I got I came back in seventy one. I got out of the service, and the way the attitude was back then, we just didn't talk about it, didn't congregate or anything else like that. I think it, for myself, when it was after they dedicated the wall in Washington D.C. with all the dead on it, mm-hmm. I think that's when people started getting involved and felt they've had they've done something right. Well. Over recent decades, and I know that's, you know, it's been a huge switch from what veterans from Vietnam had experienced coming home, that there was uh, not a welcome uh, homecoming for them. But uh, over the years, uh, that that has changed, I believe, a lot. But do you find that uh, veterans still are harboring resentment for that? Uh, Some may, and that's why we seek, we get them to seek them out. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of them have done stuff they shouldn't have done, and some of them are incarcerated, and uh, and uh, they need to the help also. We, uh, one of the things, one of our mottos for our organization, never again will one generation of veterans abandon another. Mm-hmm. And that's something we take that motto seriously. And that's one of the things we do as, uh, as veterans in our chapter. We give out uh, certificates, welcome them home from not only our, our group, but the younger vets, the older vets, we had them from World War II. Sure, sure. In Afghanistan, Iraq. And I think when they went into Desert Storm, you know, there was people started to protest against it and everything. And we were out there counter protesting, supporting the troops to support the right, troops. Right, right. Absolutely. So, you know, we find even today veterans are um, very self reliant in many ways and reluctant to come forward asking for help. Uh, do you find that true, especially with Vietnam veterans? That they, um, like, like you said earlier, they're they're reluctant to talk about these things. But uh, is is it still because uh, they uh, they're too proud sometimes to come forward? That yeah, that's a possibility. And one of the things that the trust there's a trust factor in uh-huh. here. They you get burnt once, you don't want to get burnt again. And I know back in the early days, uh, the VA has made a big improvement on the way they treat the veterans. I remember quite a while back when I started working out there, I had to take a day's annual leave just to go out to the VA to get something because it took so long to get to see somebody. So, but now it's it's continued. And I, I was one of those that, you know, didn't really trust the VA a whole lot. Uh, I got my federal health insurance and it's pretty good. And uh, I tend to do that. I just recently myself got up to priority one, which is I can get my meds for a lot. So I'm going to start Mm -hmm. getting all them from the VA. Right. So um, with with Vietnam veterans, especially, uh, tell us what you would tell other veterans, how they can better serve that community of veterans. Get involved. That's what you need to do. Get involved with a veterans group or veterans organization you feel comfortable with. As of right now, we have a life membership of $50, and that's all you pay. Okay. For your particular organization, for, yes, which is? VBA Chapter 90. Yeah, okay. So, Chapter 90, so. so that's uh, Vietnam Veterans of America that you're talking right. about. Right. We're the Miami Valley Chapter. And if somebody wanted to get involved in that way, how, how would they go about doing that? Who should they contact or where should they go? 
In order to contact uh, our local chapter here, the Miami Valley chapter, you need to con. You can either mail us at our post office box two seven zero two in Dayton, or you can uh, the chapter phone number has a closed captioned answering machine is nine three seven two three three nine seven five zero. Or for appointment, you can call Dave Fuse at nine three seven seven five zero six nine five one, and he can give you information about joining us or attending meetings. Email VBA Chapter ninety seven at gmail dot com. Tell tell some of our tell our listeners if you could uh, why they want to do that. Why do they want to join this organization? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, when veterans get together, you know, the inter-service rivalries that a lot of them have, the kidding around, they feel a little home. They trust their brother vets, brothers that they're vets more than they do any other organization that I would think. And we're the one, we don't, some of the older veterans organizations have bar operators. We don't have a bar operation. That was put in our constitution at the first convention because a lot of our guys were having problems with alcohol and other things. So we didn't want to be a part of causing them to have worse problems. So that's why we kind of stayed away from that. And some, some chapters have events where they do serve it. It depends on, depends on the organization. Sure. But it's really all about fellowship and, and being with somebody who you have something in common with. That's and, correct. Okay. Yeah, it's like, it's like a brother. You tend to trust a little more than the, uh, than the average guy on the sure team. absolutely and and you can get some help in the process that's right and that's what that's what we try to do put out the information so we can get it all right well terrific you know we're going to take a quick break here again when we come back we'll talk to steve about his military experience uh, in the army this is a message from the u.s department of veterans affairs if you were exposed to toxic substances while serving in the military A new law called the PACT Act may make you eligible for additional benefits and care. The PACT Act benefits veterans of the Vietnam era, Gulf War era, and post 9-11 era who were exposed to toxic fumes, burn pits, Agent Orange, radiation, and other environmental hazards. Survivors of toxic exposed veterans and veterans who served in specific countries in Africa, the Middle East, and Southwest Asia are also potentially eligible. Learn more about the PACT Act by going to va.gov pact or by calling 1-800-MY-VA-411. We at VA are here for you, and we're ready to get you the care and benefits you've earned and deserve. I'm Mike Richmond. And we're back with Steve Ratcliffe, who's an Army veteran and Vietnam veteran. Um, glad to have you back with us, Steve. Uh, tell us, if you could, please, um, what motivated you to go into the military? Well, I'm what you uh, call an Air Force brat. My dad was made a career out of the Air Force, and we traveled not a whole lot. I always liked planes when I was a kid and everything. And uh, he went to Thailand, and we moved out here to Wright Pat from Pennsylvania, and they closed the base down up there. So I was about 15, 16, so I more or less started my high school in Fairborn. Uh-huh. So uh, after I got out, one of, the, one of the classes during that time frame, that was 66, I believe, we had a Special Forces Green Beret come in and talk to our class, and uh, he was very impressive. And uh, 
Uh, we've always been patriotic and stuff. I wanted to fly. Uh, I've always been into that. And uh, what happened, the Army was the only one that took uh, people from high school. The rest of the service, you had to have at least two years of college. Yeah, and what year was this? That was, uh, I graduated in high school in 1968. Spent the summer doing my thing. And then when in the fall, I uh, went in and signed up. I, they, they had a, what they call a fast test to be qualified to be one pilot school. I missed it by 20 points, and I knew exactly what I did when I left the room. And and what kind of pilot did you want to be? It was a helicopter Helicopter chopper pilot. Yeah, yeah that's mainly what they were meeting over there. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, right. And my so, father wanted to do the same thing. He, he didn't get to do that. He was a family man by that by yeah, that time. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was, you know, it was, uh, I missed a test, and I, they wouldn't let me take it again for six more months. And I said, I'm not hanging around. So I volunteered to be a door gunner, so an air crew. So they sent me to uh, down to Fort Rucker after I got out of my basic training is the aviation training school. Uh, they, they gave me two MOSs with aviation mechanic apprentice and then two weeks of door gunner school. They let you go up one time and shoot the gun a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> So basically, with, with get, live rounds or with yeah, they were live wow, rounds. Yeah, okay, they had a big old white target out there. So. Okay, but uh, then they gave me my thirty day leave and I shipped over to Vietnam through Fort Lewis. Ended up at Cameron Bay where the reception place was in Vietnam. They sent me up to the Americal Division which was a 23rd Infantry Division, but they called the Americal. It was the name. It was fact, they reactivated from World War II. Mm -hmm. So uh, they put you through a week of orientation training and stuff like that in country. And then they assigned me to, uh, I was stationed at Chulai Air Force Base up in I-Corps. And it was the home of the Americal Division. We had a helipad. It was the 123rd Aviation Battalion. And they had a, a company of... Uh, so what they call slicks to transport helicopters or supplies and stuff. They had a couple of aero scout units. Those units had the small light observation helicopters, which we call OH-6s. They had uh, Cobra gunships, and then they had two C-model Huey gunships, which I eventually got assigned to. And then they had uh, another slick of uh, Army personnel grunts they carried around. And their their mission, their main mission was to go out and look for military-age males or females of the enemy, be it Kong or NBA. And they're right at the treetop level and with a gunship for right behind them. Uh -huh. And then the slick room. We found somebody. They put the infantry down to go pick them up and uh, took them back for interrogation and stuff. Sure. What was the mission of the Hueys? Okay. Uh, well, mainly you had your... Usually the DNH models were the slicks, what they called over there. And they hauled the troops in the combat assaults. And the uh, Huey gunships, they had seven shot, well, they had a configured different. Mine was had seven shot rocket pods and two mini guns on each side. And each, the gunner and the crew chief each had an M60 machine gun. So they were, they were, uh, what happened in May, we out did missions, but they were always on standby, not necessarily doing aero scout missions, but. If people got in trouble out in the field, right. they called us and we scrambled out. The so it's mostly troop transport, correct? Yeah, mostly. Uh, but um, I believe there were a lot of rescue missions. Yeah, the medevacs, the medevac helicopters were used by the Hueys. Well, but but you guys would go in, if you had somebody stranded, would you go in and, and rescue them from a, a tight but, situation? Well, problem with our Hueys, we normally didn't do that because we carried so much weight. Uh -huh. And with the humidity and stuff like it is over there, we could barely get off the ground with the weight we had on. They had to watch the fuel and not take on so much fuel. But there was one time uh, 
we were out on a mission. There was a, we got scrambled out to alert team, which was long ranger control, about five or six guys. They were on the run from the bad guys and they had some wounded and it was right around dusk and they called and we went out and shot up the area to try to protect them because they needed the dust off in. Uh, so what happened, the dust off hadn't arrived yet. We had uh, the one unit, we, we were told we were going in to pick them up. We had both ships. We had the one ship go in and we had to throw a lot of ammunition overboard to lighten the load so we can get back off the, off the LZ because it's right on right. top of a mountain in the tree area. So they unloaded, they went in, I think they, I forget how many people they had, but they picked up about three people and uh, we were going to go in next to get the rest of them out and we were dumping ammo. We just kept enough just to protect the aircraft for that period of time, short period of time. Well, it, like I say, it was dust. We were getting ready to go in and pick those guys up and the dust off showed up. So he went in and picked them up and we covered him while he was in there. Right. And went home and then we went back. So I think those guys, the guys on the crew that flew in and got them, I think a lot of them got some distinguished flying crosses out of that. Yeah. What was your most memorable experience uh, in Vietnam? Well, there was, uh, there was actually two of them that was pretty memorable. Uh, the one... Uh, and part of this was the pilot's fault because they were told not to, not to, when they go in for their gun run, not to break over the target. I think this guy forgot that because <laughs> he broke over the target and they shot rounds right in between all three of us. Wow. And knocked some radios out and yeah. everything. So I'm glad he wasn't a little far to the left or right. <laughs> yeah. So that was a memorable. This other one was probably, it was the most action we had seen. So I was over there from April 3rd just supposed to be April 20th or April 23rd, no 20th. And uh, I have I had put an extension in to stay another six months. So well, I've been pretty lucky so far. I had no problems, you know. But this was a heavy, intense fight around the village and everything else. We, they could call us out to give air support. And uh, we were doing it. I tell you, we were right on the deck. We were always fly on the deck on the top of the trees. And uh, we went in that one time and uh, I caught one that came through the helicopter through my foot, through my right foot. And uh, that ruined my whole day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I'll bet it did. So, I think one of the other guys got wounded too, but... Uh, but uh, they took us back. Actually, I, after talking to some of the guys, that was me getting shot was probably a blessing. I didn't think so at the time, but but we took back and they went back to the airstrip and they put me on another chopper to take me to the hospital. And uh, from what I heard from the guys, uh, they were looking over the aircraft to see where it hits. And there was a black spot on the mast. That's the part between the blade and the helicopter. And they shut her down. There was a hole about that big in that mast. So if I didn't get hit, we wouldn't have stopped to check the bird out. Uh -huh. And probably still been fired. And that whole blade might have went, went off. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, so well, I would say that would be a pretty memorable event. Yeah. <laughs> the tour. It, it was interesting. It happened right on April 3rd. Yeah. So when I, uh, so when I went, they took me to the hospital and cleaned up my wound and everything. And they asked me, uh, they asked me if I wanted to keep my extension or take my normal D-Rose, which was on April 20, about 20 days later. I said, well, I uh, think somebody's telling me something. I'm going home. Yeah. <laughs> Literally dodged that bullet, and that was probably a, a really good warning. Oh, yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody was looking out for me. Steve, if I can ask you, have you or do you stay in contact first with some of your crewmates? Uh, yeah, we. It, it was a while when we finally got hooked up and everything after everything going on 
uh, it was one. It was one thing I forgot to tell you too. Uh, our my one first unit was the Aero Scout unit, and uh, we had a couple of reunions. Uh, they're not as active as the other, but they they'd flown the hours out on those Huey gunships that I was flying and trans finished transition to Cobras. Put me on guard duty, and I said, "I don't like this." <laughs> so I put in for a transfer to a unit south, about 30 miles south of us, which is the uh, 174th Assault Helicopter Company. They had all Huey gunships and all slicks, and they were the ones that, uh, on their way over, they had uh, contacted the American Volunteer Group, the P-40s, Flying Tigers of World War II fame, and uh, asked permission to use the sharp's mouth on the front of their Hueys. I don't think it was a requirement, but it was common courtesy, I think. So we're the, we were the only Huey outfit that had a sharp's mouth painted on the front of it. And uh, that unit meets every year down in Florida. Mm-hmm. I've been to several of their unions. That's where I've been finding most of my information on what's been going on. They got a, they have a web page, so I got a spot on there and I get up to buy my helicopter and everything else. So just put in 174.org and uh, I got a list of people that submitted stuff. I think they got me in there in 1970 or I think. And the other one was we crashed. One other time we crashed on Christmas Day. Well, Merry Christmas. (laughs) Yeah, basically we had some fuel starvation problems and ran out of gas, basically. (laughs) Well, those are some really interesting stories. We're gonna take another quick break here right now. When we come back, we'll hear more from uh, Steve about his experience with the Dayton VA Medical Center. When I retired from the Air Force, I received my medical benefits for life through TRICARE. I didn't know I was also eligible for care through the VA, some of which I pay no copay for or an annual premium. Now I have options I didn't know I had before because of the Dayton VA. Don't wait another day to see how the VA may help you. I'm a vet and it's my VA. Make it your VA today. Call 937-268-6511, extension 2159 to enroll or visit dayton.va.gov. And we're back with Army veteran Steve Ratcliffe. Steve, uh, tell us, how did you first discover the VA? Uh, Well, I had another year to go in the Army when I came back. So I was stationed at Fort Stewart, Georgia, uh, down then, and they were training the Arvin pilots, Vietnamese pilots. I didn't do much flying with them. (laughs) We maybe stayed back and and, uh, refueled and took care of them. But after I got out, I went ahead and applied for disability with my with my right foot condition. And uh, it was got some traumatic arthritis with a bullet went clean through. Sure. And uh, and I think it went to Atlanta through there. I bought a claim to Atlanta. I ended up getting about 20% off that off that wound. And then uh, I didn't go to the VA much because I was still living in Georgia. I stayed there for a couple of years and went to technical school and lived, uh, got my experience in boilers and stuff. Uh-huh. And they called me up here. I put in a vacation card because my parents were still here. I put up a card, a job card when I was up here. And it was, uh, I was about, it was a two year course. Now it's about three months from finishing the tour or my, my certificate. And a guy from the main heating plant up there called me. That right, Pat. That right, Pat. Yeah. And it was the job he offered me was the way to grade nine. And, and uh, I doubled what I was making there. I says, well, I don't need to finish that school. Got me a job. That's the whole point of going to school. Getting a good job. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so I come up here in December. 
think it was December 3rd of 73 and started over there at the main coal fire heating plant. And then I started going to the VA to check, Dayton. check my foot, Dayton VA. Yeah. Yep. And uh, getting it checked out. And uh, I still had my federal health plan. So I mainly use that insurance because I didn't know a whole, whole lot of it. I think that was a priority three or two. I don't know if they had the priorities at that point. Mm -hmm. Truth. So. Yeah. <laughs> but they've increased and now. Uh, I get help with that. And right now the VA is, I'm doing good because I got, they're fitting me with shoes. Before they used to just put one orthotic in my shoe and uh, and not the other one. For a long time, I was walking around like that. My back was hurting because I wasn't level with the uh -huh. chiropractor. He said, you need one for each shoe. So we went to the VA and got it, see a podiatrist. He picks me up with the shoes. Well, I'm having a great time. Yeah, here. that's fantastic. So tell me, you know, you were, you were talking earlier about, you know, the, the uniqueness of being a Vietnam veteran and the the atmosphere that you came back to and, and what other veterans um, experienced. I I assume that it's uh, it's it's a different world now uh, at the VA than it was when you first started going to the VA. Oh yes, um, Tell tell us about what you see now compared to back then. Oh, I think it's a hundred percent turnaround. Well, I usually go to the Springfield Seabock. I, I actually live in Eden, and that's uh, it's closer to me for that. I got a private doctor on the outside too, but she doesn't want to found my diabetes and stuff. So I had right. that for a long time. Yeah. So Steve, you were talking earlier about the apprehension of using technology and, you know, things, things are changing so rapidly now. Um, I, I want to, I want to say first that, um, Veterans who do have apprehension about using technology or difficulties for, for whatever reason um, shouldn't feel that the VA is only using technology. You know, we, there are still people to talk to. You can still walk up to the counter, uh, though now um, you know we, we're doing online reservations for appointments. We're doing online check-in. We're getting your prescriptions done online. Every everything can be done virtually, which is actually faster. But at the same time, if you don't have that capability, if you don't, if you're not uh, familiar, don't have a cell phone or smartphone, or you don't like using a computer, you can still uh, walk up to the counter, talk to somebody, call somebody at, at the at the VA. I find that also. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, but the technologies now are amazing. Do you do you use those technologies at all? Yes, I do. I do use them all. I uh, I check on my medication, uh -huh. and because uh, I think I'm on every one of the doctors I see, I think I'm hooked into some of them. I'm, into the Kettering, I'm into the Premier, and I'm into the VA. So, right, and they're all sharing records now. Yes, so they that, are. That was the key, one of the key things, getting your records, your medical records, and your disability records. But it's a lot easier now to do that because they upgraded their system out there. And I, I just recently got into their, but the secure system, I guess you call it. Right. Yeah, when I went out to put in to make sure my paperwork is in from this last disability thing, I checked on that also. Yeah, I think it, I think it's working. You, you gotta you gotta use it to, to retain it. That's one of my problems. Oh yeah, it's, it's like riding it all, a bicycle. You got to stay on that bicycle and yeah. If you don't use it all the time, I forget all these right, things. Right, right. <laughs> How to get from here to there? Yeah. Well, as as the saying goes, there's an app for everything, and the VA's got an app for everything now. Yeah. Uh, but a, a new thing they've got out there is called Ask VA. If you go to ask.va.gov. 
that's another great resource uh, that's uh, fairly new online. And uh, yeah, you can you can have uh, a wealth of information at your fingertips and a wealth of services there also. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear that you're using those technologies, and uh, and we encourage everyone else to to do the same because it really is a uh, a great resource the VA has. Uh, it, can, it can get you frustrated, but you, you, there's people out there you can ask. So you're out there all the time talking to veterans, some of which who are unenrolled for health care. Um, I, I know you, you probably asked that question, do you go to the, to the VA for your health care? What do you tell those veterans, or, or what would you tell a veteran who hasn't enrolled, uh, and what, uh, what should they do? You know, if I think they they ought to get enrolled. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of keeping things because I keep my federal health plan because my wife when when I go she can use that so I I keep both plans and it came in handy this one time when they when they ran out of uh, the uh, Ozempic uh-huh. and they sent me the Trilicity I couldn't deal with the Trilicity I had to have the Ozempic so I ordered it through my other place uh-huh. and uh, it would cost me fifty bucks but you know. I didn't want to do that. I want to go through the yeah. VA. But you know what? You bring up a great option. There's uh, one of the things that we hear from veterans when we're out in the field talking to folks about enrolling is they're like, well, I don't want to give up my health care or I don't want to give up my doc. And a lot of them don't realize that, yeah, you number one, you don't have to give up that doc. Uh-huh. And I tell everybody, uh, the VA is just increasing your options. You yeah. should always exercise all the options available to you. And if you don't, um, enroll, you have fewer options. So as you're talking about- I agree. About, That's basically what I've done. I mean, yeah. cover, try to cover all the bases. So, you know- Right. Absolutely. We don't we don't ever encourage anybody to not explore other options, oh, yeah. but uh, rather to have the VA as an another as another option, because yeah, you, you said before the, you know, the medications are a whole lot cheaper. Uh, you're you're not you're now at a higher percentage rating, uh, which increases mm-hmm. over years for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, yeah, you don't have to pay any out-of-pocket expenses. There's no annual premiums with the VA healthcare. Like uh, even Tricare has annual premiums, yeah. albeit not like you know other other services. Yeah. But at the same time, it's uh, it's one of those things that we hope everybody understands that that's just one more uh, layer that you can add to the cake yeah. uh, that that can help you ensure that your your health care is is premium and taken care of and so, what I what I do is try to because uh, I, I I have been seeing the doc out at Springfield and I I try to keep track of my records and everything so I can share them with everybody so everybody knows what's going on mm-hmm. with me. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Steve, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. It's been uh, great to hear your stories. Uh, we love to hear stories like yours uh, from veterans in the Southwest Ohio region. This is a message from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. VA Video Connect VA's secure app for video visits allows veterans to meet with VA healthcare providers on a smartphone, computer, or tablet. Veterans can invite up to five guests, such as a caregiver or family member, to attend their visit. Learn more by going to telehealth.va.gov. That's telehealth.va.gov. I was in the military. I didn't know that when I left, I was eligible for healthcare through the VA. I thought you had to be disabled or been wounded. 
Another vet told me I should check it out. Now I have the care I need at the Dayton VA. Don't wait another day to see how the VA may help you. I'm a vet, and it's my VA. Make it your VA today. Call 937-268-6511, extension 2159, to enroll. Or visit dayton.va.gov. We want to say thanks again to our special guests for taking time today to share their story. We truly enjoy hearing stories from veterans from across the region and learning more about how they found care through the Dayton VA Medical Center. And as always, we want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind them if they are a veteran and are not enrolled, to enroll with the Veterans Health Administration to receive health care benefits through the Dayton VA Medical Center. It's easy and it doesn't cost a thing. You just need to be a veteran. The simplest way to start enrollment is to call our enrollment and eligibility office at 937-268-6511, extension 4105. They can schedule an appointment for you to come to the Dayton campus or help make an appointment at one of the surrounding community-based outpatient clinics located at Springfield, Richmond, Lima, and Middletown. Again, that number is 937-268-6511, extension 4105. Veterans may also enroll by visiting www.choose.va.gov slash health. While there, you can choose from applying online or by phone or by mail. It's just that simple, really. As I said before, it doesn't cost a thing to apply. So what are you waiting for? Call us today. Or if you know of a veteran who is not enrolled, have them call to start taking advantage of this benefit. If you're a veteran, it's your VA. Sign up today. Join us again for another episode of My VA Dayton with the Dayton VA Medical Center. Our episodes drop the 1st and 15th of each month. I'm Scott Lease with your co-host, Greg Tucker. Thanks again for listening to My VA Dayton.